Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate everybody that is tuning in. It has been a record-setting month, and we cannot do any of this without you great listeners. So we appreciate every single one of you. Go check us out on our YouTube channel, the Big Honker Podcast. It's super easy to find. And uh, the season one of The First Family of Waterfowl is up there now. So go check it out. We did four episodes, and we start filming season two here pretty quick. This podcast is brought to you by the one and only Pacific Calls. I'm telling you what, they make the best. My favorite call that I've ever blown in my entire life, the BA, it's sitting here right next to me right now. It's short, it's compact, and it is a screamer. The BA Lesser Call is my favorite ever of all time, period. If you shoot lessers, little geese, or whatever, I highly, highly recommend that you get one of these. They've got a bunch of new calls for 2022. They've got the BBG. It's a board out uh, honker call. They've got the BBS. It's a board out speckle belly call. And they've still got the 530, which is my favorite speckle belly call. You can't beat it. And uh, the guys over there at Pacific Calls, Trevor and Alex, world class. They were uh, selling a lot of calls at Game Fair and also giving away a lot of calls to uh, young hunters and little kids. So they are incredible individual and the waterfowl world needs more people like them. So go check them out and use our promo code BHP25. It is 25% off of whatever you purchase. You're not going to find that anywhere else. So it is a great deal that you need to go take, take advantage of right now. Type it in at checkout, BHP25, save you 25% at checkout. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. Mr. Alex Langbell has spent his life in the uh, paramedics, first responders world, and he has built a company revolved around keeping your gun dog safe. There is a field trauma kit that I think every hunter needs. Uh, it's light, it's compactable, it can fit in your blind bag or in your truck or backpack or whatever you use to take out in the morning. Uh, it's got everything you need. Stop bleeding, stay warm. Uh, it comes with uh, a little stapler. So if you get a real nasty cut on your dog or whatever, you can at least uh, stop the bleeding and get them somewhere. Also, there is the quick release system, which I think every dog needs to be tethered. No matter how qualified your dog is, all it takes is one little accident and it's a bad, bad day for everybody. He's got a ton of other products. He's got collars. He's got check cords that he makes, hand makes himself, water bowls, um, he's even got a nifty little water system that, uh, you can take out in the field to hydrate your dog. So check them out. Gun dog outdoors, take care of your four legged hunting buddy because they take care of you. Also, we're brought to you by boss shot shells, the best shot shell that's on the market right now. It's copper plated bismuth hits like a freight train and you're going to go down two sizes. So if you're shooting a two in steel, you probably need to be shooting a five in boss. Personally, I shoot the two and three quarter inch three five blend. It's the way to go. It is everything that you need in a shotgun shell. Um, if you're shooting the big boys, you might want to bump up to the three inch three five blend. But either way, you cannot go wrong with Boss Shot shells. They're the best guys that are on the market. We spent a weekend with them at Game Fair, and let me tell you, they can move some product. So if you need some shotgun shells, go to Boss Shot shells straight to your door. There's no middleman, so you're getting a great deal on your shotgun shells best hoodies in the market best hoodies on the market best shirts what's the new bag coming out they got uh i'll let them release that but it'll be a nice little money bag bossshotshells.com we're also brought to you by dive bomb industries the best silhouette that's on the market we got a little common thread here jeff we get all the big boys the people that are making the, the good products um makes us look better skinnies are the way to go keep your trailer nice and organized throughout the hunting season Five dozen per bag. Put them on a shelf. You don't have to worry about them. Uh, all flocked heads for the Canada's, but they've got anything that you need. They've got Affordable. ducks. Affordable. 
They're affordable, so you can build a very, very good spread on a budget. Uh, Canada Spec Snows, Mallard's Pintails, they've got floaters out now. So um, if you're needing decoys and silhouettes, if you need floaters and silhouettes, look no further than divebombindustries.com. You can't beat them, so might as well join them. They're going to be here for a while. We love them. Also, we're brought to you by Shin Gear Waiters. Jeff has got him a pair of Shin Gear on the way. Yes, going to wear them this year. We got we got water filled teal. up some spot. Going to do some teal hunting, help with the grandkids. So got me some fat boy waiters. Cannot wait to try them on. I will give you my testimonial on waiters. You know how I think about yeah, waiters. Yeah, if, if they pass the Jeff Stanfield test, they make a good waiter. Yes. I have worn them. The boot is phenomenal. The, the upper, uh, the material that it's made out of, nylon, it's tough, it's durable, and the best part is if you accidentally snag a piece of barbed wire and rip it, you send it back to Shin Gear, they get it fixed, and they send it right back out to you. They've added to their lineup, though. They're not just a waiter company anymore. They've got jackets, uh, waterproof jackets. They've got pullovers. They've got all sorts of stuff. You just got to go check them out at ShinGear.com. I am personally looking forward to the uh, over-under. Jacket goes on. Waiters go over those. And uh, you're not going to add a whole lot of bulk by wearing that jacket in waiters. You don't need to be looking like the Michelin man out there in the marsh with a big heavy jacket but it's going to be keep you warm so check them out for all the new products that they've got because they've got a lot of them also we are brought to you by alpha outdoor specialties they're a fabrication shop so you got an idea you send it to them and they can make it uh they've made the stanfield stool and they are coming up with the blind caddy that is going to hook into uh, a-frames everywhere that way you can have you a nice little desk in front of you in those a-frames have have somewhere to put some stuff other than that cold, wet ground. So Alpha Outdoor Specialties, they've been, uh, they were at Delta. So I'm sure you saw them if you were at Delta. Great people over there and um, they can make whatever you're needing. Uh, we're also brought to you by the Lucky Duck, maker of the best A-frame, the two by four blind and the best spinners that are on the market, all waterproof. We use them every day. And you said they got a new, tur what? they got like a little, they got a new swimmer decoy out there. Makes a, it's a based off of a propulsion system, makes a hell of a little ripple. So those calm days where water's not, where your water's not moving and your decoys are just laying there, put this bad boy out there, swim through your decoys, create ripples and natural movement. All movement is not created equally. So you want natural bird movement to uh, help entice those wary ducks. Um, Check them out, luckyduck.com, and uh, whatever you're needing, they got it. Whether you're looking for uh, A-frame spinners, if you're a varmint hunter, they got all sorts of stuff for you. So check them out, luckyduck.com. Also, we're brought to you by Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, Mr. Rebel and Logan. Put on a hell of a show. Don't call Logan, though. He, he's got a baby now, so if you're stranded in the middle of Missouri, don't, don't call him. Don't be expecting a hotel room no, for the night at his house. Not Don't do not don't do that. But, calls you the next morning and says, oh, did you need something? Oh, yeah, we needed a need? place to About sleep. About six hours ago, Logan. Um, go check them out. You can donate to their Patreon account. They have uh, different pricing for different levels, but you pick which level you want and donate to their Patreon, and you will get their entire library of shenanigans over there. They do bourbon reviews, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. Please, please purchase it. Little baby Stella's gonna need to go to college one day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So go check them out. Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Uh, we're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. That's how we start our morning out here every single day with the Missouri Boat Ride Blend or Morning Wood. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. I had it every morning in Minnesota. It was you had a Morning chilly. Wood every day. No, I actually had Morning Wood, but they also went and had Missouri Boat Ride. I like Morning Wood, though. Morning nice. Wood was good. It's yep. nice. A lot of you guys don't experience Morning Wood any other way, so... Yeah, they're getting older. You know, Dirty Duck Coffee is the only time you get to experience Morning Wood. 
Um, great coffee, and it's the way to start your day. It's, it's, it's fantastic. They've also got incredible merchandise. They've got a very, very cool uh, coffee mug. So it's on their website. Go check it out. And uh, you should start your day with Dirty Duck Coffee. Also, we are brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey, Mr. Brandon Bing. He's actually got new music coming out, too. So if you're a country music guy, check out Brandon Bing's music. He drops his new album, I think, in two weeks. Uh, fantastic whiskey. It is off over here. Every time I take a little nip of it whenever the podcasts are getting extra long, but it is not for the faint of heart. Bangtail embodies a select few who believe in hard work and relish in the opportunity to take a step back to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Whether relaxing for a midweek swaller or communing on the weekend with quality people, Bangtail is sure to provide a truly unique and tasteful experience time and time again. With deep southern roots, Bangtail provides a first-class handcrafted whiskey experience. Pour a jigger of Bangtail and enjoy. Must be 21 years or older. Also, we are brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, they have been putting ducks back in the sky for us selfish duck hunters. And 80 cents out of every dollar that is donated to Ducks Unlimited goes back to the ducks. You don't even need to say nothing else, just Ducks Unlimited. Everybody knows what it is. It's that time of year. The first big event of the year is out. It's the National Trip Auction. It can be found at www.ducks.org backslash nta it closes this saturday night eight o'clock all kinds of trips on there to have you can get ski trips fish trips trips for vrbos anything that's on that you can imagine you can buy right there on that and that's the national trip auction at ducks.org back backslash nta okay we're also brought to you by double t british kennels if you are needing a dog for this coming waterfowl season they can hook you up over there at double t british kennels uh, quality dogs, you know, that every British that I've ever been around has just been a sweetheart and a hell of a hunter. They, they've got dogs at every level. You can mm-hmm. get a puppy from them. You can buy a started dog. You can buy a finished dog. Good citizens. You know how the British are. They're very, they're very polite. So check them out at doubletbritishkennels.com. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters and the books are filling up very, very quickly. So if you are needing dates, I have get on the poll in November. I have. The Monday and Tuesday before Thanksgiving open. In December, I have the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before Christmas open. And I actually have the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th open. Oh. And then in January, I've got a few dates here and there that open. And I actually have the third weekend in January, I believe, open also still. I there had, you go. I had a group move of hunt, so that's open. Anyways, check us out. We Dove have no season. No, don't even call. Unless you've got a private group of 30 people and you can do a weekdays in October, I don't have anything available. So anyways, thank, thank you for everything you do for us. We appreciate y'all listening to us. We appreciate the downloads from the podcast to the first family of Waterfowl. We will be shooting season two starting in about a week. Next week at this time, we will be filming season two. God bless y'all. Thank y'all for listening. Boys and girls, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by David Schuessler of the great organization that is Ducks Unlimited, and we go over their waterfowl survey released just a couple weeks ago and talk about the duck numbers and what we're going to look forward to this coming waterfowl season. Uh, Very, very fun. A lot of good information in here. So hopefully you'll enjoy this. Here he is, David Schuessler, Ducks Unlimited.
All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. 85 years. 85 years. Never forget. We Don't forget who did all the hard work. We wouldn't have any Ducks if it wasn't for them. Right. With us today is the man at Ducks, the guy that's head of Ducks himself, Mr. David Schuster. David, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing great because I'm with y'all today. It's September 1st, too. It is September 1st. It's a new season. It all starts. Yes, we have dove hunters out today, and it is raining in Knox City for the sixth day in a row. God bless us. Thank you so much. And it's supposed to rain again four of the next ten days, so... We have been very blessed this last couple of uh, the last six weeks, basically, especially for the poor people in Nebraska and Western Kansas and a lot of them places and California where it's bone dry. Bone dry. I wonder what that's going to do to the migration this year, because Western Nebraska and that Eastern Colorado is like a major corridor. So I wonder what these birds are going to do. Are they just going to totally skip over? Are they going to go further east? Mm, they'll probably skip it. Skip it? Just go straight into Kansas yep. and Oklahoma? Yep. I mean, if if there's no water, you know, they might stop for a day or two. Yeah. But, you know, waterfowl have to have two things, generally, water and food. And if one is not available, they are going to use those wings that God gave them to go find it somewhere else. It's going to be interesting because if the once the birds leave, Nebraska, I don't know how many times the Platte River's been dry in the last hundred years. I don't know if this is once in a hundred year deal or if it happens every ten years, but it is bone dry in western Nebraska. There's no there's no dry land food for them there. Kansas, Cheyenne Bottoms, and Quiver are bone dry right now. So all those teal, I don't know how many. I bet they hold fifty to hundred thousand teal in a normal September. There, those birds are going to find somewhere else to have to go. They don't have any dry land food. I don't think either. It, it's going to be all irrigated food and no water. So those birds, now there's a lot of things can happen in the next six to eight weeks before the big migration hits there. But yes. if things don't change, there, there, there's going to, cause we were dry on water just two weeks ago. And now we've got water here. Those birds are going to have places. They're going to have to find somewhere to go. And it's going to be either South, East, West, wherever. And we've got food and water here. So every time someone has something bad happen to it, someone benefits, benefits from it. I hope we're the benefactor this year on some stuff. And I really oh, do. I, I, I think you will be. I'm, I'm thinking back to my five or six years that I lived in Texas and hunted down on the coastal prairie. And a couple of those years, the bottoms were dry, like dry, dry, like, you know, burning off the cattails dry. And our teal seasons, you could tell the difference because those birds were going to, they were going to find someplace and they just kept on going and, and uh, we were the beneficiary down there. So I just looked it up. They, it said uh, before McConaughey was constructed, it would go dry every year. Oh, really? Yeah. But I guess ever since they built that lake, it it's pretty rare. Well, it is, and it's a rare year this year. We'll start on the West Coast. We're going to talk a lot about with you. We're going to talk duck numbers. I want to talk breaking news yesterday out of California was the Klamath Basin Refuge and the Thule Lake Refuge, I think is the name of them, have shut down all public hunting for this year. And the Sutter, I think it's the Sutter Refuge, they are shutting down waterfowl hunting at least until Thanksgiving, and they don't think that they're going to have enough water to continue it on. And there's three or four others. It is water-related is what the feds are telling us right now. I have been saying forever 
that California is going to be the first state that's going to do away with hunting on public land. And I hope they don't use this as a springboard to try to advance this more than one year. But it is seriously, seriously dry in California right now. Where do you think those birds will go? Because all of California is dry. Will they go all the way into Mexico or will those birds shift into Utah, you think? I think a lot of them end up in Mexico anyway. Uh, coming out of that area, I mean, it's it's far enough north that not everything in a normal year when they do have water, not not everything that a hunter sees there is there for the entire season. I mean, that 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 flyway um, works like all the others, and I think that they'll continue on down into the Central Valley, um, where you know there there is duck water, and and the refuges that do have water. Um, now some of them might hit it and try to go back up north. Uh, but when they get there and if they don't find water, they will go somewhere else. And I had, I had heard that uh, from some of the staff that I work with at DU, just talking to them on the phone, that the type of drought they're dealing with out there is unprecedented. Um, and now I think they have record temperatures that are coming right. in for the next week. So anything that's left is just going to between the wind and the heat. I mean, we all know what wind and heat does to water. It makes it disappear. So it's awful. I, I, you know, I just hate it for those folks out there. I had, um, a, excuse, go ahead. I had a guy for in game fair in Minnesota talking to me from out there. And he said that, that new, the government, the California state government is going to cut back on water allowed to the rice farmers there. Well, you add that on top of this and you take the food out next year and then the water this year, that 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 whole area, which has been just is a world famous, world rich waterfowl area, could be changed forever in a couple of seasons of this. It could, um, and, and it's part of the reason that it's a priority area for Ducks Unlimited, um, not just for conservation work, but for water and everything else. I think it's it's similar. I I saw a situation like this when I lived in Texas. I can't remember the exact year, but the Lower Colorado River Authority, you know, started um, having to move, uh, ha- having to ease back on the amount of water uh, that they would allow to, to come out of the river and and all of the, the crisscrossing of all the canals there. And I think we went one season where we couldn't we couldn't get duck water down there. Um, and of course, it was a big deal. I mean, it changes everything. I think that was a smaller scope than what we're talking about out in California, but. Um, water is a precious commodity out there, more precious than gold. Uh, and, and I know it's it, hard to believe this, more precious than it is in West Texas. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it is just an unprecedented, extended drought out there. And it's scary to, to, to look at what it does for agriculture, to look at what it does for recreation and, and hunting and fishing. And um, it's just, it's crazy. It really is. Now, how much of what's going on out there? Some of that is man-made, isn't it? They're not. Didn't they dam up some stuff to where they've mismanaged they're, they're some worried water about a gecko or something like that? So that's why the Klamath wasn't getting water. I think it's a salam- or I, salamander or something. Or am but, I convoluting a couple stories? I, I, um, I, I, I think there was some stuff that went on in the past uh, mm-hmm. where there was, you know, there was some disagreement between groups about water use. What I know about it, um, and, and that is not my specialty, but what I know about it is this is this is drought. Right. It's 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 just there's just not enough coming down from the from the sky to uh, to fill that thing up. 
and and it, it you know it goes it can go all the way back into the snow melt from last spring. If if those yeah. mountains don't get a whole bunch of snow, they can almost tell you months in advance we're going to have issues in the basin because we didn't get enough snow melt in March. Um, it, it's it's uh, and, and I was hearing that last spring that oh our snowpack is 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 low and that's that's just going to exacerbate a problem that's already there. Makes sense. And they're trying to, I don't know how, what the population of California is, 60 million people or something or more. There's 330 million people in the country. I bet they've got 60 or 75 million of them. And you get in a drought and you're already low on drinking water. And they've got all them farms out there. I know the almond farms get a whole lot of water. I think their lobbyists have outpaid the rice lobbyist on who gets the water. And I know the almond farms are getting a lot of water. And they've taken away a lot of the crop water. That's it's a it's a big crop form out there, and I actually lived for a little bit here in Memphis next to a retired almond farmer from California. <laughs> and the one thing he did share with me is it takes a lot of water to grow them. Yeah, oh, a lot, and they, and I think their lobbyists are outspending everybody else's, and I think that's where a lot of water is getting allocated to, and it makes a big difference. But the sad thing is, is that waterfowl, waterfowl hunting in Northern California, unless you're a wealthy person that belongs to one of those real nice clubs up there, and I'm assuming those clubs can't flood nothing either. So there's going to be a lot of guys not having nowhere to shoot ducks at this year in California, and that's that's a bad deal for the whole the, everything out there. And I feel sorry for them. I do too. I really do. Well, let's get into the duck nut to the waterfowl survey. How about that? Maybe uh, maybe that'll cheer some people up, or maybe it won't. If you're if you're a uh, gadwall hunter, you looks like you will. Long term, they're up thirty percent. They are. So um, you know these duck numbers are fun. Uh, I I wait for them to come out every year, almost like Christmas morning. And at DU, we get them the same time the general public does. We you know we don't we don't have any advanced uh, knowledge of what's coming out. Uh, and they're a critical tool. Uh, for continental management, uh, because it, these counts are a partnership between the Canadian Wildlife Service, uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and then the state agencies in the, in the states where they count. They're critical to long-term management, but as a avid waterfowl hunter, um, I think sometimes we we need to look at them. We need to see what it is, but I don't think they directly influence hunter success to the extent that we believe they do. I still think weather plays a little bit more of a factor and, and the conditions around where you hunt than necessarily what these spit out every year. Now, the important thing is this is the first one we've had in three years. Right. Uh, because they didn't, because of COVID, they didn't run the surveys in uh, 20 and 21, but what we were hearing is that boy, it's dry. It's really, really dry. Like the Dakotas are dry, Saskatchewan's dry, Alberta's dry. And so as these numbers spit out, I think they were kind of exactly what we were expecting, which is we've had a declining number of waterfowl or breeding waterfowl over the two years because of that drought. Um, what I take out of this for me personally, the the big the big message is if, is the may pond counts because they count ducks and they count ponds mm -hmm. and the may ponds were actually ahead of the long-term average by 4%. Um, and that's just indicative of how much rain came into the prairie pothole region 
at the last moment. Like it was, if we don't get rain now, we're in really bad trouble. And it started raining and really didn't stop. So that bodes well for the carryover into next year. But except for Gadwall and Blue Wing Teal and our, everybody's favorite, the shoveler, the shoveler. and I guess Red. Do. Yeah. Um, everything's below long-term average, but we kind of expected it to be there. Yeah. So the Texas coast should be full of waterfowl because that's everything that they have, basically. Shovelers, redheads, red and, and blue-winged teal. The, yeah, the, 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 pin, <clears throat> the pintail's still struggling. Um, so, right, so let me ask you about that. Do you think that we're ever going to run into a time where the pintail is no more? Uh, no, I, I don't think we'll run into a time where the pintail is no more. Now, what I know about pintail, and let me, let me, again, I'm not a biologist, I'm a fundraiser, but I get to hang out with some of the best biologists and scientists uh, in the world as it pertains to waterfowl. The, the issue with the pintail is they really love Alberta. Mm-hmm. And Alberta, um, which, was, which didn't get the same rain as Saskatchewan and the Dakotas this year, Alberta has lost so much of that native prairie. I don't think we will ever see the pintail recover to those numbers that uh, were around in the sixties and seventies. Uh, I, 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 you know, there's, there's certainly plenty of them that, that will breed over in Saskatchewan and in parts of the Dakotas, but they really love Alberta. And with it being dry this year, it didn't surprise me to see their numbers be at, more than 50% uh, down versus long-term average. What, how, what's their population right now, bird number-wise? Well, the, the total ducks they're saying uh, is 34 million on the report that came out. Breeding pair. No, I'm talking about pintails. How many? How many? Uh, Let's see. It says 1.7 million is what they counted. What, what did we have pintail population in the 70s, you think? Well, Jeff, add 50%. 2.7 2.7 million then it actually might have been it might have been higher than that in the 70s because this is versus long term i think um i can't re- you know spit it off the top of my head i know we had a whole lot more than we have right now so let's say we had four million now i'm just curious because when i was a kid hunting we could kill 10 pintails a day they were a 10 point duck in texas i don't remember <clears throat> now i didn't hunt i hunt the same places now waterfowl hunted that i did as a kid growing up i'm pretty fortunate but we didn't hunt all the time out here and we didn't have peanuts and we never field hunted but i don't remember just the sky being black with pintails i remember killing lots and lots of mallards as a kid and we killed pintails but i don't ever remember a day that me tony and dad would have killed 30 pintails like we did a lot of other ducks so i don't I, I'm not disagreeing. I know the Texas coast back then, the pintails were just crazy, the number of birds on the coast down there. Yeah, and that's, you know, the Texas coast, the marshes of Louisiana, um, parts of uh, Florida, uh, they would, you know, I, 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 I remember, I don't remember clouds of pintails growing up in Florida. I rem- certainly remember more than you would see there today. But I think if you go to Louisiana and Texas, um, especially those that hunt, hunt along the coast, they're the ones that can share stories of clouds of pintails. See, like we'll have clouds of pintails now in the peanut fields, but the crazy thing is, is there's no pintail hens. You very seldom see pintail hens. There'll be a, there'll be literally a, a flock of a hundred pintails, and there'll be three hens in there. They're all drakes. Mm-hmm. That just it's how they breed, though. I mean, that, 
that's what that all deals with. But where are all the flocks of big pintail hens at? We've then? heard it before. I, they're they're that's what somewhere I'm saying. Else. They're in Mexico or something. The drakes um, leave first, don't I, they? Yeah. The, so the drake the drakes generally take out first, right? Um, and there there will be a few hens with them. Um, I know from my time hunting on the Texas coast, we used to have to search flocks to find a drake. Really? And so I, I think a lot of those hens um, go all the way down to the coast. That's just the way they're wired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see a whole lot more hens down there and trying to search out that drake, whereas, you know, the farther north you go, you're catching those all drake flights. That, and, that answered my question right there, what you just said. The, all the hens are down in Matagorda Bay and all the the drakes are up here. Well, we'll take the drakes. Yeah. And, you know, really, as I think about all of them out there, um, you, you will see, you know, mallards will exhibit um, that. The, the drakes will hang out a little bit longer and the hens will go ahead and take off. And But really, I don't know a species like the pintail where it's just so prevalent where the hens and the drakes are migrating differently like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Someone told me that golden eyes are one of those diver ducks that we don't have here, and I can't remember which one it is. They do that. They said early in the year you see all hens, and then late in the year you see all drakes, or vice versa. And I think it was one of the golden eyes, but we've shot five golden eyes probably here in 30 years, so that's not really a bird of our – if we just see one, it's rare. So We don't chase those a whole lot. No. And then another thing that I'd heard is don't pintails – a lot of times they'll make their nest in these these fields that farmers are uh, plowing under. So now you, will. you're adding yeah. uh, this to it. So, right. So more more than other species, pintail has no problem trying to go and and make a nest in a crop. Right. Now, that is so. So as you look at some of the programs that Ducks Unlimited has, our winter wheat program, uh, which we promote, um, really addresses that issue because a winter wheat is planted in the fall, comes up a little bit, it's dormant soon as spring kicks in, that wheat really pops. You know, while while spring wheat's being planted, winter wheat's growing. And what it allows is pintails and other ducks, there's other ducks that'll do this, they can go in, they can nest, they can get their young off the nest to water, and then by the time the wheat is harvested. So so winter wheat is an exceptional agriculture practice as it marries up to breeding waterfowl. Um, so that's one of the programs we, again, we really push with the farming community up there, showing them how the yields can be more than spring wheat, why it's a safer crop than spring wheat, and at the same time, being able to grow more ducks in a place that isn't native prairie. Right. So how does so how does that work? You go to these farmers and you just tell them about this program and you get them to kind of shift their shift how they're going to do it? Yeah, um, go and, you know, you'll have meetings with the farmers. Uh, some of it's uh, one farmer at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but obviously a farmer wants to do what's best for their crop. So right. it's a lot of education. Um, it's it's working with a lot of the seed companies um, in, in showing how um, the, the, the uh, programs that they've put together, the, the, the seed that they've put together um, is a better choice than spring wheat. Um, and just getting that uh, getting the farmers to understand that there is an option. Um, and in some cases, there's also um, some financial incentives, which could be a conglomerate of DU and others, mm-hmm. uh, to, to show them um, why winter wheat would be a, a, a better crop if they are going to grow wheat. Um, what was, on the point system, Jeff, what was a mallard? A 
25, I believe. I think you should, or 20, 20 or 25. So you can shoot four I or think, five. I think a Mallard Hen was 70 and a Mallard Drake was 25 or 20. That's right. Uh, I know a hen was 70. Um, and I, yeah, I think a Mallard Drake was 20. No, they had just 35. That. Or were they 35 point ducks? I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I'm gonna be honest. I grew up with my dad hunting. We never had a limit, anyways. We shot a hundred shells. When we got done shooting a hundred shells, we were done. If we shot fifty ducks or we shot thirteen, this picture behind me on the wall, there's fifty. I think there's fifty-two or fifty-five mallards in that picture right there of my dad and him and another guy shot that one evening. So that's the kind of deal I grew up in. And I, I, my dad's dead, so I can't take him to prison now. And I think the statute limitations on an eight-year-old kid me is out. <laughs> but I don't remember. I remember the ten point ducks were green. Or were teal were ten point ducks because we shot a lot of green wing teal back then, a ton of green wing teal, and teal were ten points. Pintails were ten points. I think gadwalls and widgeons were both twenty point ducks or twenty five point ducks. Also, uh, scalp were ten point ducks. Yes, they they, they were. And yep, scalp ten. Redhead were seventy. Yeah, they, um, the redheads and, were in uh, big trouble back then. Say that again. The redheads were numbers were way down back then. Yeah, they were. Yeah, the red. You know, the uh, redhead is one of those birds that continues to surprise. Um, and and I, they're pretty adaptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really are. It seems like they're adaptable up on the you know where they breed as well as where they winter. Um, it always seems like they're able to get what they need. Um, and but. You know they're they're still a two point bird. The over overall, their their overall population is one of those ducks that's you know low, a redhead, a canvas back. Um, but yeah, I, re- I remember redheads were seventy, and I think a a black duck was ninety. I think there were. I, I remember if you shot a black duck, you were done unless it was the <laughs> first the first duck of the morning. Well, see that that was also a way people got around that stuff was if they shot like a canvas back was a hundred point duck. So if right. you shot a canvas back, you were supposed to be done. But guys would still hunt and shoot it and say, "Well, we killed the canvas back last." You know that that's their way of getting around it. You know, you shoot nine. If they were landing, <laughs> right? But, but but you shoot nine green wing teal in one canvas back, so you could shoot ten ducks, but your canvas back counted as your, you only kill one of them. Yeah, but it's you know it's a uh, I grew up in that point system. Um, I think it's uh, so much easier now in what they've done. And and how they, um, how they uh, don't chase the population the way they used to. You know, they've they've spread out how they look at the pond counts and the bird counts, and instead of chasing the population, we, they have that adaptive harvest management matrix, which I think is better for the hunter um, and for states in being able to set their seasons so people can plan their trips and. I, I just I think my kids are coming up in a much simpler, easier to understand system than it was in the 1970s and 80s when uh, you were having to worry about is that a is that a black duck or is that a Drake Mallard? Right. When what, when did the point system? When did it start? And when did it end? Because I I grew up in it and I remember it went out. I don't remember when it was, but did it was the all the 70s or was the point system in the 60s too? I think it was in the 60s and 70s. And if I remember correctly, I think they went away from it in about 82 or 83. And there might be somebody right now go, man, you're wrong. <laughs> and I very well might be. But I'm just trying to remember back in my experience when 
we shifted from worrying about points into the number of birds you could shoot in a certain species. We went from the point system, I remember this, to three ducks. Because that was when the duck mm -hmm. numbers fell is off the ducks. And don't worry, there will be an expert because it don't matter what we talk about. There's an expert to, to correct everything we say that's wrong on every podcast. So someone will have an answer for that. Well, I here's what I remember. So I turned I turned 16 in 1986, which means I could start I could start hunting that year, put a boat behind my truck and go hunt on my own. I remember hunting with my father and having a point system. I remember hunting with my friends and counting numbers of species. So I do think it is in that early to mid 80s that they switched over. What led to the switch? Was it just they they did they want to simplify everything to where people uh, you know weren't having to keep count in this manner, or or what? Or did they become better educated? I think they I think they I think the science got better, mm -hmm. and I think that the scientists that uh, with the state and the federal governments looked at it and said we ha we have an opportunity uh, to make this easier on hunters. Um, and, and the science of applying points, just, um, it's not having the impact that we thought it would. I think at that time, they also started to have enough data to say that while hunting certainly has an impact on populations, it wasn't having the overall impact that they thought it was. Um, and it offered a little bit more flexibility, um, in allowing to, to look at it at a, you know, per species um, than it was, uh, overall. Right. Well, that makes more sense. And it's good to know that they're adapting. Um, the, the mallard, everybody's favorite duck down 23 from the last count down nine long term. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's not, I mean, I guess from 2019 to there, that's a pretty big dip, but I mean, there's still gonna be plenty of mallards this year. Still plenty of mallards. One thing to remember about the mallard, and, and that's primarily what I hunt just based on where I live. I am not a mallard snob. Right. If I resided in North Florida, I'd be chasing ringnecks. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, the mallard, more than any other species of duck, will continue to try to have a nest and will continue and will continue and will continue. So my expectation is that the recruitment of mallards this year, i.e. the number of young born, given the the, uh, the overall increase and improvement of wetlands and associated uplands in Saskatchewan and the Dakotas, that there'll be a lot of young mallards coming south. Um, yeah, 9% versus long-term isn't huge. I mean, there's a plus minus on that. And uh, I would say there's probably a lot of baby mallards up there. So, I, I mean, but here I am saying, don't get too excited about the numbers. Here I am as a duck hunter going, oh, boy, I'm excited about the mallards. <laughs> you know, a lot, of, a lot of mallards also don't get counted in that because there are city parks and stuff all over where ducks that aren't in traditional areas in North Dakota that are nesting. There's mallards having nests all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there's mallards that nest up in the boreal forest. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, it, it, people need to understand that they're, they're not counting every bird. It's this, this, These bird counts are, without a doubt, the most, um, they, they are the largest wildlife survey that's done in the world. And, 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 and it's meticulous in how they're done with flying the transects year after year in those parts of the 
of, of our continent where they know they need to be counting breeding pairs, but they're not counting every single duck out there. I mean, you can't fly the entire boreal forest and look down and say, well, there's X number of birds under those trees. Again, it's a scientific tool that gives a long-term look um, at what's going on and, and, and where groups like DU need to put their attention, like the pintail. Um, but, you know, we had bad drought for a couple of years. Birds are down versus 19. Ponds are up. And if we get a good winter, if we get snow covering up, um, cut ag fields north of us, um, we're going, you know, we're going to have good hunting and it might be better hunting than we saw the past three years. Uh, because so much of it is local habitat conditions. And and I know y'all are thrilled it's raining where you are. Yes. Because you need that landscape water to hold large numbers of, of ducks and geese uh, to have the opportunity to get under them and pull a trigger. I've never, in 30 years in the hunting business, I've never went into a year where the forecast and the, the duck numbers and everything was good. I've never remember in 30 years people going, this is going to be a banner year. There are birds everywhere. There's always it's always negative before the season starts because we're hunters and that's well, the way people, we are. I think people want to be pleasantly surprised and yeah, drastically I mean, disappointed. You know, and th- and that's just the way it is. And it don't matter what your you know. The, well, the goose numbers are down. Well, the duck numbers are up, but the goose numbers are down. They always something to to offset stuff. But if it wasn't for Ducks Unlimited, we would not be doing duck hunting right now today. There's no doubt in my mind about that because they saved the ducks back when it counted the most. And now we're continuing to do that. But they did a ground that the, they put down a foundation that's made a huge difference. And me and Andy drove back from Minneapolis the other night. We were in, uh, I think we were in Iowa, where there was a big duck factory on the side of the road that was a DU project they were building somewhere south of Clear Lake, I believe, right on I thirty five. I saw. So yeah, that's that's the kind of the start of where that that whole area, you know, the breeding area, um, starts in there, and you know. 85 years old, and I can say that all of us wake up every single day with that singleness of purpose that this organization started with, which is skies full of waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. And when our feet hit the ground every day, it's all about how do we how do we make more ducks and how do we keep the population sustainable where we have the opportunity to go out and do what we love to do. And I'm 52 years old. And if I could go back and talk to 18-year-old David Schusler and say, you know what, in 2022, your two boys are going to have the same opportunity to hunt ducks the way that you did at 18 years old. Even being a dumb 18-year-old, I probably would have said, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But here we are. <laughs> here we are. Does everybody at Ducks Unlimited, or most everybody working there, are they duck hunters also? Um, yeah, most people, yes. Now, um, you know, we have some computer scientists that aren't avid duck hunters, but you know, every business needs computer scientists. That's right. Uh, That's true. Our, our, our field staff, our regional directors, our directors of development, our biologists, pretty much all of them, um, are avid waterfowl hunters. And, uh, you know, t- today being September 1st, the opening day of dove season, there's a, a bunch of us in the office right now. Um, come after lunch. There'll probably be fewer of us in the office today. <laughs> Everybody walk around this morning. Where are you going? Where are you going? You got any birds? What are y'all serving afterwards? You know, so um, it's a fun environment to work in because so many of us, that's why we do it. I mean, that's why we're, I don't think I could work for DU and do what I do, spend the hours on the road, 
um, the weekends and, you know, uh, in, in event halls and so on and so forth, if I didn't love duck hunting as much as I do. I think it puts something in you that pushes you a little extra than you would if you were out selling coffee or doing something like that. Duck hunters are a unique brand of people. We are completely different than anyone else. There's a huge fraternity of us, but there's no other, there's nothing else like duck hunting in the world that attracts people that are duck hunters, whether it's a decoy, a pitcher, or just stopping and seeing some ducks on the side of the road. That it just, it's, it, it's in our blood in our system. I think it's like the old sailor that couldn't get off the boat. So it's a pretty cool deal. What, uh, <clears throat> you're the, you're the big fundraiser guy. It's season starting right now. How's it the, is. how is the funding this year compared to other years and past? Is it up or down with economy? Um, I would say that it's, it's, uh, equal to last year. Um, now we're, you know, our, our fiscal year ends, uh, on June 30th. So we're really just starting to get into our fundraising season. But if you look at early results, um, the people are still out supporting the organization. Last year uh, was a record year for Ducks Unlimited. Um, wow. We saw some things that we've never seen before. And I think a lot of that was um, due to the pinup uh, energy that we all got during COVID and everybody wanted to, to be out and they wanted to be back around uh, fellow duck hunters and outdoors minded people. And so our events did really, really well last year. Um, I, I expect to see that carry over into this year. Um, I think COVID made us miss people. Yeah. Um, and, it, it, you know, even if you were out and about during it, like we had to be, it made you miss people. And, um, and there's, a, there's just an overwhelming feeling in the industry, not just DU, but I think in the outdoors industry right now that um, – it's, it's really important that we continue to do these things uh, that we do to uh, continue to recruit people into our lifestyle like we saw. I mean, it's still hard to get some fishing tackle in some parts of the country yeah. uh, because people, people went out and, and, and they, they reintroduced themselves to fishing and remembered how much they loved it, and so they're continuing to do it. And uh, we saw that with hunter numbers too. What's what's the big uh, the big prize this year at the DU banquets? What's the new thing that everybody's wanting to get, or the or the big centerpiece for all the auctions? Well, it's always the uh, I, I would think that that the firearms of the year right um, are are always uh, they're always the most sought after. Trips are really really popular right now, and you know we have a we have a program called our Approved Outfitter Program where. Ducks Unlimited will vet trips all over the, the world. Uh, dove hunts in Argentina. Uh, we, we have um, duck hunts for, you know, harlequins up in Alaska. We have smallmouth fishing in Wisconsin. I mean, it really just goes all across all different types of the, the country and world. And those have been incredibly popular. And I think people haven't been able to travel uh, just because they couldn't get into other countries for the past couple of years. So our trip program is, is our trips are very sought after right now. What, uh, I want to go back to the duck numbers real quick. My poor widgeon, they, they just, I don't know. We can't get them right for whatever reason. What they're down again, even further. Let me find it. Oh, where are they at? Where's it at? Where's it at? Okay. Widgeon. They're down 19. 19, yeah. 19 long-term down 25 since, uh, 2019. What, what's leading to that? Just more of that habitat loss. 
Well, you have to remember they're counting these widgeon in the prairies, mm-hmm. and a lot of widgeon do go and breed up in the up in the forest. Okay. Um, so this is a this is a look at the number of widgeon that are breeding on the prairies. If they got there, didn't find what they needed, they went on into the forest. It doesn't mean that they didn't um, spend all summer not having babies. Uh, I think what the important thing for say the widgeon is, okay, what happened? Let's say we hold this carry over water, we get some snow on the ground, we get a good frost seal, we have good wetlands in the in the prairies next year. I think next year's duck counts really gives us an opportunity when we get back to better conditions, more average conditions. We could take a look at a, a species like the widgeon and say, okay, really what's going on here? Right. Right. Well, that makes sense. Um, so you, you said you have no prior knowledge to this. You get it the same time the public does when this, when this releases, like, does your phone blow up? Like, are people, are are people like, I can't believe you're hiding this from us or what's it like at, at, at your office the day that this is released? So we do. So we do know, um, the day that it's going to be released. We do know that, um, I used to work for about a year and a half. I worked uh, inside of our kind of communications and marketing division. And you're kind of sitting waiting on it with three or four different scenarios of a press release to put out. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's you're anxiously awaiting it. You get it really quickly. Our scientists and like our, our chief waterfowl biologist will read it. They'll come up with uh, Ducks Unlimited's opinion, for lack of a better word, on it, uh, get it put into a press release, and then get it out the door. Um, so it's 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 a big day when it hits. It is. It's fun. Uh, it used to be that it released the Friday before Fourth of July weekend. That always seemed to be when they used to release it, do things a little bit differently now. It's released in August because they allow states to set their seasons on the prior year report. Again, we're not chasing that population the way we used to. Uh, So we anxiously await it and very quickly we'll take it and get it out to our members with what we feel. And and I think the overarching opinion from DU this year was this is about what we expected. Right. How many, how many of those emails do you get where guys think that you're, all the numbers are, are skewed in one way or another? Do you get that quite often? Uh, more than we used to. Really? Or excuse Excuse me, reverse that less than we used to. Less than we used um, to. But, you know, it, it's, again, we, we don't do the counts. That's a function of the of the two governments and the states. Me, as somebody who um, works for Ducks Unlimited, as, as somebody who knows what goes into this survey, I have no questions about how many birds are being counted. I know that. I know that the people that do this use very strict guidelines, the same guidelines that they've used for years. If anything, we can probably be more accurate accurate based on just technology and, and the tools that people have available. Uh, you know, we they have follow-up crews. A plane might fly over um, a pothole and say, I just counted 30 ducks. You know, there were X number of mallards, X number, X number, X number. And they don't do this for every single one, but they'll have follow crews that'll then go in and glass it and go and count it standing on the side of that wetland. So it's incredibly intensive what they do. Um, I know when we have warm winters, the questions are asked, well, you know, are the bird counts right? Right. Uh, 
counting birds the exact way that they always have. The question is, where are the ducks? And in a warm winter, the ducks are north of you right. uh, because they're only going to fly as far south as they have to. And that's generally when you start getting questions like that. Because as duck hunters, right, mm-hmm. we're just we're a different breed, and 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 uh, it's very easy to start asking those questions. Yeah, especially when the weather's not right, because that's when everybody kind of gets frustrated. It's like, damn it. They told us there was yep. this and we're not seeing yeah. it. So by, you know, they're lying to us. They've been lying to us forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, but you know what, when we get good weather yeah. and I can only speak for my part of the world, but uh, last season uh, in central Arkansas, we got good in January. I mean, for about two or three weeks, it was good and funny. We don't, we don't reverse what we're saying then <laughs> we don't go, you know what? They were just right. Everything's perfect. <laughs> Pat him on the back. I got I got an Arkansas question for you. Um, okay. A guy from north Northwest Arkansas called me the other day, and he told me in the area that he's at they're they're going to put in twenty thousand acres of solar panels, and they're going to be paying farmers a thousand dollars an acre to put their cropland on these solar panels. Well, if if you own a thousand acres, you're talking about a million dollars a year to not do nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that is going to affect long term snow goose in that snow goose hunting in that area, don't you think? Uh, if if uh, I don't know how many snow goose, it depends on where it is in northwest Arkansas. Um, I mean, if he if he's if he's up in the in the, near the University of Arkansas, no, because that's that's just not waterfowl country. It's more down central this guy's um, in waterfowl country big time because he okay, told so they're in waterfowl country yeah, he told I me would, uh you know i don't know what the impact of solar panels and now obviously if he was planting and flooding and doing all of those things if habitat leaves the ground then yes um it will but i have i haven't seen any type of reports about uh how solar panels will will impact any type of migration but that would certainly be a lot a thousand yeah. acres of solar plant panels would be That'd be a lot of ground that had mirrors on top of well, it. Well, twenty thousand, he's told me, is what they're coming out there. Some new, he, he, this is a new thing, but he's a landowner up there, and he and he told me, but he said it's going to be the dry land fields because he told me he said it's going to affect snow goose hunting more than it's not going to affect the duck hunting because that's going to be in the water and flooded. He said, but these are going to be dry wheat fields. And he said, and it's going to be they're going to go in there, and he said that kind of money you can't blame a guy a landowner for wanting to do that. I said, no, that's a lot of mailbox no. money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when, like any landowner, I mean, you have to respect what they want to do. Um, yeah, I would expect uh, my, my expectation is just the would be for those snow geese to find their way down to the Grand Prairie where I hunt. There and you that's, go. That's probably <laughs> like I said earlier. Every time someone has a problem, someone else benefits from it. That's right. That's still, it does. It does not matter. Somebody's problem is another you know, man's game. I, I know. I know a lot of hunters along uh, the. Uh, the old rice prairies in Louisiana and Arkansas lament the fact that they don't see the number of speckle bellies they do anymore. Where do the specks go? Where do the specks go? I can tell. They you. went to Arkansas. They went to wherever rice is being grown. So anytime you know there's a there's a negative impact someplace, somebody somewhere is going to benefit from it. They're in West uh, Texas, also. We got a ton of specks out here. That's I mean, right. That's- you do. That's and I've been out there and seen it hunting cranes out there. There's a a lot of specs out there just a few years ago. Yeah. yeah it's, it's insane. And I'm, I'm wondering if, and I had somebody kind of back me up. He's not a biologist or anything by any, any 
anything like that. But I've always wondered if specs and the little Canada's don't co-mingle very well. And then, you know, we went through a drought and I think that's part of the reason we lost a small Canada, but I don't know. I think specs are noisy little bastards and I don't think Canada, I don't think the lesser Canada likes hanging around them. And, uh, there I, were, there were some other people that have observed something similar to that. I know mallards don't like them Specs. because we, yeah, if, if I have watched some of these large, I call them rice water reservoirs around where I hunt, um, goose roosts, perfect goose roost in Texas that used to fill up with mallards and still will do it. But as soon as a few thousand specs find it, the mallard numbers on that reservoir just drop. They, they just don't like sitting around. And I've just observed that personally. Um, you know, and I remember my time in Texas, um, you know, a pintail and a shoveler love sitting around snow geese. They'll mm -hmm. commingle real well. But I noticed the gadwall didn't like it. Our gadwall would leave when the snow geese would come in, but we'd start picking up pin, uh, pintails and shovelers. And that's the neat part about waterfowl hunting is that you have all these different species. And, you know, certainly nothing against whitetail deer hunting. I grew up doing it and do it every chance I get asked to go now. But you're you're hunting one species when you do that. Right. And ducks is that's what makes it so romantic to me is the differences and, and all of that. I'll bet we have killed in 30 years. I bet we've killed 10,000 plus ducks in the peanut fields. Easy. I'll bet we hadn't killed a, I bet we hadn't killed 25 gadwalls in the peanut fields ever. Can you ever remember killing any gadwalls hardly? Mm. We did the, we did a fun hunt, a family hunt, uh, opening weekend, which was like the last weekend in October and we shot the shit out of the pen to the gadwalls that day. Remember? Yes. And that yes. was the only time I can remember ever. And we probably shot 70 gadwalls those two days. Right. But outside of that, we haven't ever killed 25 gadwalls in a peanut field ever. Right. I mean, total, not just in one hunt. <laughs> and we, it, But we never kill a gadwall, but we kill mallards, pintails, and widgeons. And even green-winged teal sometimes we'll shoot in the field. Mm -hmm. And we kill a bull canvas back once a year just about that sums it buzzes as decoys and makes a bad choice. But we don't ever kill gadwalls in the field here, and I don't know anybody that shoots a lot of gadwalls in the field outside of Canada. Yeah, and I mean, and it, it's not. I mean, in the times I've hunted up there, it's not like they're flying in. It always seems to me in Canada we shot our gadwall when we had to go hunt water somewhere. Yeah. Right. Um, and when we do, you know, now that you mentioned this, when we do get cold and we get snow cover and all of that stuff in Arkansas. We'll start killing mallards in the field. We'll kill pintails in the field. Um, no gadwall, though. Yeah, I don't know if they're field. They must not feed in the field much. They might get what they need from the water. That they could. We just happened to be a. We we had a unique situation a couple years ago here, and we had a playa lake, and there was five thousand ducks feeding in some wheat stubble, and we had across the field we had a peanut field, and I, I said, what the hell? Let's do it as a fun. And we hunted right on the edge. And there was a county road between our field and their field. And we sat right up on the county road, basically, in our field and put out about seven spinners. And we we murdered the freaking ducks. I mean, it was crazy. It was it, it was one of them deals that was either going to be a hero or a zero. And we were a hero that day. Hero that day. Yeah, they sucked right into them. But they were feeding in that cut field over there. But that's the only time we, we've never shot gadwalls in the field ever. I can't remember ever shooting one. Yeah, so that's that's kind of crazy. One question someone wanted me to ask all of our all of our people who guests, and I'm gonna start asking: What is the weirdest thing that you've ever seen in the outdoors? 
Good mm. gracious. Um, the weirdest thing that I have ever seen in the outdoors probably would be, uh, it's fishing. Um, I was, I was in either high school or college. I was down where I grew up in Florida. I was trout fishing on a flat and a baby porpoise had died and the whole school were circling this floating baby porpoise and they would come up under it and hit it and pop it up into the air. And I asked a uh, marine biologist, what was, I, what was I witnessing? He said, you were witnessing those porpoises trying to do CPR on the baby. Really? That's, that's cool. Yeah. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. And I don't know if that qualifies as weird or just amazing. Right. But I think that's the most amazing thing that I've, I, I've ever seen. I've, you know, I've seen barnacle a barnacle goose shot in, in in arkansas and i mean i've seen some pretty weird stuff that one was just the one that i will remember forever watching that it was uh it was fascinating so they were trying they figured out how to do cpr i wonder what their success rate is probably got to be better than jeff's dad ron ron was a retired fireman he said he is oh for nine batting a thousand he lost every one of them <laughs> um it, it uh yeah, it was something else. It was like it was yesterday. Huh. I've never known anybody that's ever seen that. That's pretty cool. How deep was the water you were in? About four or five feet. Perfect speckled trout depth. And just and uh, come up under it and just, you know, and they weren't shooting it right. 30 feet up into the air, but but that small porpoise, it was clearing the water. And, uh, yeah, once he told me what was happening, it was sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So – where all are you going this year? Do you have a lot of trips planned? Uh, I am going to come out to West Texas and hunt crane, which I try to do every year. And I am going to put all my eggs in the Mid-South basket. I am, um, I am going to hunt uh, my leases in central Arkansas and my lease right outside of Memphis. And um, I am, I'm banking on a regular winter, if you, you know, the, Farmer's Almanac and and everything else that you read, and I'm going to stay close to home this year. Oh, that Farmer's Almanac! I don't know. I don't know how to. How do they come up with that anyway? They've got just some old lady Models. and man probably figure out what they're going to do, and they write the same thing because people like my dad buy them every year, and he every did. year he goes by it. Now on December 14th, <laughs> it's going to be a 32 mile an hour north wind for sure. It says it in the Farmer's Almanac. So. I, I I I will trust the. Uh, I will trust the uh, the ocean flows, the warm the the warm right. uh, ocean flows, and everything else as we get a little bit closer, which are lining up for a normal winter. Yes, um, we had somebody tell us that, didn't we? Yeah, uh, meteorology guys called, messaged me the other we're day. Going, we're out of La Nina now, and we're transform transitioning into La, El Nino or whatever it was. But he said whatever we, the good we, one is. He said we're going to have a wet winter, and he said when we have a wet winter, we have a below average weather temperature wise so it's going to be colder and wetter this year and we're we're seeing it now i mean it is september 1st and my high today is going to be in the 80s i think tomorrow yeah. it is supposed to hit 90 but then i think on next friday we're supposed to be 77 degrees for a high and that's yep. that's and our first I'm front watching, i'm watching that that uh three-week forecast up in saskatoon 
and it's doing that really good, slow, gradual, just going down, 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 like it's supposed to do. Right. Um, and so I'm just fingers crossed and I'm, I'm, I'm rolling the dice. I'm, uh, no, you know, no Minnesota this year, uh, no Canada this year. I'm, I'm putting everything in, into staying home. So I'm looking at the numbers here, the blue wing teal, they're at six, we'll call it 6.5 and the mallard is at 7.2. So that would mean that blue wing teal is number two. Am I reading that it right? Is. It is that I wish more of them stayed in the United States. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. A, a lot, a lot of those things, uh, you know, they make it down to Nicaragua and places like that, but they do have to come through us. Right. They got to come through us. And, and I would expect, man, if I'm in Texas and I, I, I hesitate to say this because then they're going to say the guy from DU said, uh, <laughs> If if I were still living outside of Austin, hunting the down around Bay City, Texas, I'd be licking my chops at teal season, knowing how dry it is in Nebraska and Kansas, and knowing that those birds um, had to come through, and knowing that they've had a lot of water down there too. So there's that landscape wetness where um, you know you're not. It, it's never good to be the only water on the landscape because mm-hmm. when you shoot it once, they're gone. They have no place to go and hang out and come back two days later. We've got more teal here right now than we had last year any time behind the lodge. We've got five acres that's flooded. It's about knee deep. It's got grass in it. And we're sitting on anywhere from 50 to 100 birds, which is not a ton of birds. But in August, that's a lot of teal for us. Yeah, and I, I've been seeing some stuff on social media, you know, just having friends um, all across the country that the big blocks are moving through uh, Iowa, I saw yesterday. And I uh, haven't heard any reports around where I am, but I think everybody's so focused on dove, they'll start thinking about hunting the teal after today. I tell you what, I was amazed at Minneapolis, and I had been to Minneapolis many, many times. I did not realize how many swans they have in the Minneapolis area. Yeah. We saw tons yeah. of swans. Yeah, and they're, they're year-round birds for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they do have to migrate somewhere. Uh, I, I would assume because it gets so cold up there. I mean, they're ice fishing right outside of the city. Uh, but have y'all ever been to North Carolina to see no. the swans that go from Alaska all the way across? It's, um, you know, that's really one that should be on everybody's bucket list is to go shoot a tundra swan in eastern North Carolina. It is, uh, I've I lived there for a few years, did it a few a few times you just it's one permit per person per year and uh they they extend the swan season one week past duck season so you don't have to give up a duck or a goose hunt to do it but it's dry field hunting usually and uh it's a blast um though you don't want to be under one when it hits because <laughs> it'll hurt you <laughs> it'll hurt I, you i i want to know how the hell they found north carolina coming from where they do like that's that that's the part about waterfowl hunting that fascinates me is how do they end up there? I have no idea. I, the, it, it's, it's flat. It's super flat, but they're not growing anything that those swans don't fly over getting there. Right. I mean, it's corn and soybeans and it's some potatoes, but there's not a specialty crop. You know, there's not a certain type of almond growing in North Carolina. They just, they go and hit that black dirt around Lake Madame Mesquite and it's, I, I don't know what percentage of the population goes to Eastern North Carolina, but it's a bunch. It'll keep you up at night. 
Um, if, if you have them roosting in a field and they will, they don't go to water every night. They will stand in a field all night long. They're so big. I don't think they're worried about anything getting them. What, and it's fascinating. What What's their population? Would you say they winter there of this? Because I've seen I'll them in, I've seen them in Canada. I've seen them into the Dakotas before. Hell, we've got a, there was a flock right outside of Wichita Falls of about 200 birds that were there every year. And we, cause we've hunted and had them try to decoy into our decoys before. And we've had a swan decoy. We had three swans behind the lodge that stayed for two winters. And we had them land in the decoys here one time. This but says 70,000. 70,000 birds is what's in North Carolina. Eastern North Carolina provides wintering habitat for an average of 70,000 tundra swans. I wonder how many of them get killed Or a year. roughly 65 to 70% of the entire eastern tundra swan population. So that's the, e- that's the easterns, but the easterns come out of Alaska? Well, yeah. Yeah, they're coming. My understanding is they're coming across. That's crazy. Is it this? Those are tundras. What are they, what are they shooting in? Those Hold are, on. No, it says Alaska tundra swans also. That's just, that was just one thousands of Alaska tundra swans at Lake uh, Matamuski yeah. in North Carolina. Matamuski. Yeah. But I can't find a number on them. So. No, is the Alaskan ones the same one that go to Salt Lake City and stuff? Is that the same tundra swans? I, I believe it is. I believe, and I, and I believe it is. And I think the, the the eastern tundra swan is up in that area that's just east of Alaska. Uh, so, th- I mean, they are coming across much of the continent to get there. And, like, and I want to go on. I, I've got to go on record. I was about to say somebody's going to prove me wrong, but it has to be between 50 and 100,000. Uh-huh. <laughs> I should have let you give your... Pretty good, uh, pretty good analysis you, there. I should have let you yeah. do that before I, I piped up with the answer. That was my fault. Um, that's that, that's like that, that's a wife answer right there. After she hears the answer, well, I was gonna say <laughs> I was I was this close to saying so you've lived all over working for ducks. What's your favorite place you've lived? Ooh, uh, it depends. Uh, for food, it was probably Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, for the change of seasons, it was Raleigh. Uh, for hunting, probably Memphis. I mean, I'm. I'm I'm right here. I'm right here in the middle of the Mississippi Flyway. So all the places have had their it's had their different uh, appeal to it. Um, but Memphis has been Memphis has been home for 15 years, and it's where I've raised my kids. So uh, it's probably the most memorable. But I got to experience some great things every place I've been, and great people. You know, we were talking about duck hunters earlier. That's the great thing is you know somebody like me hunting out of my mouth grew up where Alabama, Georgia, and Florida comes together. I can meet a duck hunter from Washington State at a DU meeting, and we can sit down and talk for hours. And I'll tell him stories, and he'll tell me stories. And it doesn't matter north, south, east, west. I've met duck hunters in skinny jeans with flat-billed <laughs> baseball caps. And But once you know, once you – from California, once you peel it back, they're a duck hunter just like us. That, that's ex- and, uh, exactly right. Where's the best? That's the cool thing. Where, where's the best barbecue? Austin or uh, North Carolina or Memphis? You're gonna piss some people I'm off him here. On, I'm putting him on the spot. You are gonna piss people <laughs> off here. The best pork. The best pork is Memphis, and I'm sorry, Eastern North Carolina. I love my vinegar-based barbecue, just like y'all. <laughs> but I'd have to say Memphis. Now, of course, beef is out in. Texas. Austin. I mean, I'd never really had brisket until I moved there, and now 
you've, you know, the, the thing about Texas barbecue is, you know, in North Carolina, they'll fight over, um, you know, is it, is it the Lexington style or is it this, or is it that, but it's all the same stuff. And in Memphis, they're going to argue over kind of the same way who has the best rib. They'll argue over dry versus wet mm -hmm. in Texas. They cook it all. Yeah. And they put it all out to eat. That's what's great about Texas. You go to a Texas barbecue. Well, do you want sausage? Do you want brisket? Do you want ribs? Do you want steak? And it's all cooked at the same time. That's what I loved about Texas barbecue. What's the best ribs in Memphis? The commissary in Germantown, which isn't technically in Memphis. I've never been there. I had, I had, is it the rendezvous that's down in the basement? Rendezvous's good. Rendezvous's great ribs. See, I don't like the dry as much. Yeah, I like I'm, a, them I'm, a, I'm a wet rib guy. Yeah, just uh, me in, in both of what I just said, uh, and they'll ser they'll serve you wet, but they're really known for their dry. And there's all I mean, there's interstate barbecue here. There's one and only. I'm gonna get in trouble in people in Memphis now. <laughs> uh, my first efforts. Um, and of course, all my friends in St. Louis are that are listening. They're all yes. oh, well, yeah. it's all behind St. Louis, and maybe they're right. St. Louis has great barbecue too. So, a kid that grew up in Florida, basically, or Alabama, what, what's better, football, Florida or Tennessee college football? Oh, that's not even close. College football? Yes. Oh, uh, Florida and Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> that really pissed everybody over Tennessee off because they the were true. All you do is look at the record. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I mean, at all. that's not. I'm just, that's not. I'm just controversial at all. Okay, it's football season. What's your picks for the Super Bowl this year? You know, I want, and and and, and this is this is going to sound crazy. I want Brady to make it one more time. One more time. And it, it's just because of his age. Mm -hmm. He's defying everything, right? And the whole sitting out 11 days, and I want I want to see him do it one more time. So your pick is uh, Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl? Not one. No, Who do you think is going to win? I'll go out on a limb. I think he's got one more in it. I think he's going to do what Serena's doing right now, which is I'm old, but this is my last shot, and I am going to go out and I'm going to make a way, find a way to make it happen. I will go out on a limb with it. I'm not going to call you crazy because I think the person that bets against Brady is just glutton for punishment. Losing like, money. Like he has, <laughs> he has transcended and he has played at a level beyond anything anybody can comprehend. And what he's doing is stuff that they're going to write about in the history books forever. So I'm not going to, I don't think you're crazy at all by saying that. Who's your, who's your AFC team? I don't know. I'm a, I'm an NFC guy. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know I don't know enough about anybody else. Chargers. That's why I'm taking too. Chargers, Bills, something in something in that range. You know it's you know, the 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 Bills the the whole storyline last year with them. You, you you go into this season feeling like they're right. We didn't get enough, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. How is Brady forty five? Yes. I am 54 years old. I cannot imagine a guy nine years younger than me that is playing competitive football that's not a fucking kicker or punter. Right. I mean, seriously. And to be at that level, that, that just is amazing. Because I know how I hurt when I get out of bed from just wrestling with my grandkids for a little bit some mornings. So I can't imagine Can playing football and just – that's. But That's you know nuts. what he's there for. I mean, you know what his intentions are going into this year. He's got a 
he's got a cush job once he retires next year. I think what is a three hundred million or something like that. I don't know that he retires. He, this is it. I don't. I don't know that it is it, or not. If he don't win it, let's say they get the championship game and they get beaten, he's that close. Uh-oh. I wouldn't be surprised because if they win it, he's done. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't bet ever against that because I wouldn't care. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on on AARP and playing football still, <laughs> getting Social Security he, and still playing football. He's got that desire, but the thing is, he's not like one of these old men that's embarrassing himself. Like Philip Rivers played one year too many. Yeah, and so. I don't think Brady has. I hope it doesn't come to that. I don't want it to be like the old scraggling dog that someone should have put down the year before. I hope that he goes out competitive the whole time because he has been a great ambassador for the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than having a kid out of wedlock, he's never done anything that might have de- deflated a couple footballs. But who the other team? Other there. team played with the same fucking footballs. No, they don't. The guy is a is a winner from from the day one in his life. So. I mean, what a man to be! I, if I couldn't figure, if I couldn't be David, I think I'd want to be Tom Brady. So there you go, David. Oh. David Schusler or Tom Brady? Yep. Yeah, no, not quite. <laughs> well, when you come out to West Texas, we're not very far away. We'd love to have you come out here and shoot some birds with us one day or two. See our little slice of heaven. Yep. Yeah, you know, I mapped it out, and um, I, I'm going to try hard to do that. I, I really you, am. I can tell you this. I can guarantee you this. You will not have a better chocolate chip cookie in your life than the ones my wife has here at lunch every day. And when she makes bread pudding at night, you will have a hard time arguing that there's any better bread pudding out there. Not saying there's not well, some close, but she's going to give them a run for their money. I think you've sold me on it. I think I, I think that, that solidified it. Well, we'd love to have you out here. We, sh- we sure do. And we appreciate DU sponsorship, and we look forward to y'all being a part of it for a long time. And if there's anything we can do for y'all, please let us know. And we appreciate all the thing y'all do for the Ducks. And I'm going to say it right now. Other than the Nike logo, there is not a better logo in the world than the DU logo. And everybody knows what it is no matter where you're at. And I say other, other than the Nike logo, it's the second most famous logo in the world, I think. It's iconic for sure. We appreciate you coming on here and going over these Duck numbers and just talking with us. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, go get them. It's September 1st. So let's, let's, uh, let's have a good hunting season. Any big DU announcements? Yeah, any any do any do announcements or uh, certain things going on that we need to talk about real quick? No, uh, you know we're just getting into into banquet season. There's going to be events all over the country, um, and we always want fellow waterfowl hunters to come be a part of the excitement of putting those events together. Um, for me, I, I lived in a place where I didn't know anybody. I became a DU volunteer and, and got a group of friends for the rest of my life and ended up working for the company. So ducks.org backslash volunteer. All you have to do is send us your contact information and somebody will be in touch. And it's a lot of fun. It, it really, really is. Um, and if you can't do that, come enjoy the fun of one of the events. Come take a look at the trips and the and the guns of the year and everything else that has to do with uh, the excitement of DU. Very good. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on here, and uh, let's have a great hunting season. Hopefully, we connect later this winter. Sounds great. Happy hunting, everybody. Hey, yes, sir. G- yes, sir. God bless you, and have a great day. Bye-bye. David Schuster, one cool dude. What a cool job. Man, what a cool job he'd have. Yeah. I can't think of a job be more fun. Well, I can, probably some of them, but a job like that. That's what you want to do, something yes. you're passionate about and you enjoy. And he gets to work for someone else, and they got to worry about 
be able to pay the bills. So it's a perfect place. <laughs> that's, that's my kind of job right there to have a good job, fun job, doing something you really like to do, and he does. I hope David comes and sees us this year. I'd love to have him out here. Thank you all for listening to us. It's opening weekend of dove season. Please, in waterfowl season, I got Mikey throw up some pictures, some ducks he shot in Canada. Go get a Mikey. Happy birthday, Mikey. Uh, look forward to visiting with everybody this dove season. We got a busy month or two ahead of us before we get into waterfowl season. I still got some dates left. I have some late November dates left that are really, really, really good. Some weekday left. Anyways, holler at me if you need anything. 940-658-3172. God bless you and have a great weekend. Go check out our sponsors. Go check out Ducks Unlimited. Figure out how you can join, contribute, volunteer, all that stuff. Uh, Ducks Unlimited does incredible work. Double T British Kennels, Dirty Duck Coffee, Stanford Hunting Outfitters, Bangtail Whiskey, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Looking Glass Duck Club, uh, Lucky Duck, Shin Gear Waiters, Gundog Outdoors, Pacific Calls, Dive Bomb Ministries, and Boss Shot Shows. <laughs>